Globechain is the largest and fastest growing ESG reuse marketplace that helps companies become more sustainable, save money, and achieve their ESG and SDG targets. Globechain connects companies from the construction, retail, hospitality, and office sectors with nonprofits, small businesses, and people to redistribute unneeded items, reducing waste from going to landfill. From fixtures and fittings going to thrift stores and being upcycled by fashion students to construction material being reused to help build schools, items are requested super quickly and help generate impact to local communities. So far, Globechain has diverted over 58 million kilograms of items from landfill, and they've helped over 50 million people across the world, saving them 350 million pounds through reuse. Check them out at globechain.com. Technology helps us live our best and most comfortable lives, but there's a lot that's unseen with how tech is produced and eventually discarded. The IT industry currently emits anywhere between 2 and 4% of the world's carbon emissions, according to a study done by Charlotte Freytag and Mike Berners-Lee. That's about the same as the airline industry, and it's only expected to go up. Additionally, e-waste is a real challenge, with around 40 million tons of electronic waste generated every year worldwide. Today, I speak with Anthony Levy, the founder and CEO of Circularity First, a company that advises other organizations on how they can reduce their carbon and environmental footprints by changing the way they approach their IT strategy. There are many opportunities to make a positive impact, and Anthony and his team work hard to ensure their clients take advantage of all of them. Anthony, thank you very much for joining. It's great to have you on the show. It's absolutely my pleasure, Daniel. And uh, I'd like to start these conversations a little bit broad and then go into the details. So can you just begin by sharing what exactly is Circularity First? Sure. Uh, Circularity First is a for-profit but for-good business, really specialized in sustainable IT. And uh, really the goal is to help other organizations lower the negative impact of their IT. And so, sorry, go on. Uh, sorry, uh, well, just really uh, for the last 14 years, our, our main focus has been to advise organizations on how to do this, but more than anything is to be the practical side of this. So actually to design, to implement, maintain, or even decommission technology solutions in, in a more sustainable way. Yeah, we've worked with the Ministry of Defense over here in the UK. Wow. We work with big banks, telecommunication companies, We've deployed solutions in critical care units in hospitals. So mm. we, we've got quite a lot of breadth um, across you know, the UK, Europe, Asia, and of course, the US. Amazing. And so, I mean, what are some of the environmental challenges with the tech industry right now as it currently stands? Well, if I'm honest, the, the biggest challenge is that people don't think about the impact of IT. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, when I introduced my business, I use those words, sustainability, and IT, people look a little bit confused at me. Why are those two in the same sentence? Um, so I think we, we have to start by understanding that there is quite a big impact of IT. Um, the first I'll talk about would be e-waste. I mean, it's the tangible bit, right? You can see it, you can touch it. You know, um, already more than 50 million tons of e-waste every year. And in fact, it's the fastest growing waste stream out of all the different waste that we create on this planet. So mm. that's a big one. But when you think about waste, you've also got to think about what it took to build the thing in the first place. Mm. And people don't think a lot about what that embodied 
carbon energy materials, that whole thing from, you know, clearing land to get access to these rare metals and minerals to then go in this complicated manufacturing process where we're flying a component and a subcomponent several times around the planet before it even gets into your hand. Wow. Um, so I'd say that's right at the top, but I think we've got, we can't not talk about carbon mm. when we talk about um, sustainability these days. I think we're all kind of there or thereabouts on the, on the climate crisis and the, and the problems of, of, of carbon. And it's only recently that a, a proper broad study has been done on IT and, and IT already contributes around 4% of our global emissions per year, twice as much as aviation, which you know, we all talk about needing to fly less. You and I are probably good examples of trying to do that, but it's always tricky. But again, it's not just the number it is today, it's how fast it's growing. And um, Boston Consulting Group estimates that by 2040, there'll be 14% of global emissions, which is a staggering number that even wow. I can't get my head around. And if I may lobby on just one final point that relates to all of that, that's that it's really, all of that is magnified and accelerated by the short life cycles of technology that that we feel the need to 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 consume technology through very very fast cycles like you know two years when something could be used used for 10 yeah and i think those are well those are some pretty big broad challenges i think that yeah as a as a extremely quickly as an extremely fast growing sector uh, it's probably a bit overwhelming at times to make sure to gra grapple with each one of these issues. So yeah. if we if we go through them one by one uh, and we start with e-waste, um, yeah, I think uh, 50 million tons per year and it's the fastest growing and it sounds like that means that that number is only going up from here. So what exactly is e-waste? Yeah, we'll start with that and then we can go into how we actually deal with e-waste. Great, well, I mean, e-waste is everything that's electrical um, that ends up as waste. I mean, the most tangible stuff you, know, you could look at your phone, you could look at your laptop, but equally, actually, things like TVs and things like that can also be included in e-waste. I guess the big problem with e-waste is that it's um, very poisonous, typically. Um, it's actually not very easy to recycle. Um, typically, only sort of 17 to 20% of all e-waste is actually able to be recycled. So you've, you've got this very nutrient-rich, if you like, full of met these rare metals and minerals devices that we chew through very quickly and then actually we can't do an awful lot with it yet when it's done so you can see how that can that can be a big problem yeah and i think one thing that i'm i'm recently learning about is how do you get these rare metals and all of these minerals and things that need to be used um, in any technology whether it's yeah, headphones computer or even solar panels or uh, wind turbines uh, the only way is to mine it and frequently these these mines are in places that are ecologically important um you know perhaps in the amazon and so trees are being cut down in pretty large quantities in order to create mines for all of these i, I don't know much about it but I've, I've just been seeing this recently that um yeah it's kind of it's kind of a challenge and so if we're just throwing away all of these all of this hardware that means that that uh mining was sort of all for naught yeah and it just has to be done again for the next one and the next one you're, you're right to highlight the trees because obviously that's our natural buffer mm. so it's like a double a double impact you know you're not only just you know you're creating a lot of emissions in the process you're also actually destroying some of the buffer that's used to take it back out 
Absolutely. And so what is the solution or what are you doing with Circularity First in order to really mitigate this, re reduce it, reverse it? Well, I guess it's a very good point. So I, I think there's a number of things. I mean, the first point that we would always come to is around how you extend the life of technology. How do you make any of these things that are currently seen as waste last for longer? So, you know, we we would help people understand how they could use their existing technology for longer. If, there were, if it was fundamentally a point that they couldn't do what they needed to do, we would introduce them to refurbish or remanufacture technology that can do exactly what they need. But again, it's not brand new. It hasn't all those minerals haven't had to be extracted to, to, to build it. Um, and also actually, how do you help customers who no longer need their technology? How do we make sure that's safely um, taken out? You know, the data destroyed, it's tested and repaired and made available to, to the next person. So really recycling becomes the very last resort. Yeah, and um, in those five R's, uh, the first one is, I think, reduce, um, if not even yeah, uh, design, might... design, redesign, I think, is often what people talk about as one of the first ones. So how do we actually design these products in the first place? It's very easy. Can you make them modular so it's easy to upgrade or maintain them or, 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 or a number of different ways of making them better at the design stage? Exactly. Yeah, and that, that take, that's a completely different approach than it, it requires a much bigger uh, point of view. It requires bigger thinking. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's a lot harder, but I think it's worth it in the end. And speaking of refurbishment, um, I recently bought these headphones. These are Beats by Dre um, on, on eBay. I'm doing a lot of plugs right now. And yeah, it was really interesting. I bought these refurbished um, and I'm pretty sure, I don't know exactly how new they are, but first of all, they're fantastic. But the other thing is I bought them like new for probably a third of the price that I found them listed on Amazon or any other website. And so, um, you know, the quality is phenomenal. Um, I can't tell the difference other than the packaging that they came in that they're not brand new. Um, and I saved a lot of money going this, going down this route, route plus, uh, of course, the environmental impact. So I would imagine that the financial implications as well of going down the refurbishment route in term, or the refurbished route in terms of sourcing new uh, technologies, but at scale. I mean, if we're talking about large tech companies based in California, as an example, and they need to redo their entire, I don't know, they need to get like 10,000 new computers. Uh, there's a, a real good business case as well to go down the refurbished route. And so I, I, I suppose I'm just linking the financial aspect of sustainability here as well. It, it seems like it's good business practice. For most of us, one of the things we pride ourselves on is there's no downside. So they get the same technology that they're asked that they were looking for. So we're not looking at something that's older or a generation older or something that's not as good. They get exactly what they want, right, with much greater kind of um, sustainability uh, credentials, like measurable uh, redu reduction in, in, in use of materials and, and carbon emissions. But to your point, actually, with a, with a material cost saving. So we're not quite at the... The, the, the kind of savings you, you you got through those headphones because ours go through possibly a, a more of a process, but yeah, we're still delivering customers between fifteen and twenty percent savings in comparison to to, to to the same new products, and it's the exactly the same new products with warranties, guarantees, the software licensing, all of the accessories. Really, you, you wouldn't be able to tell them um, difference from 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 new, and and that's been a core part of our business model since since we began. 
Yeah, and I think I think it just makes sense. And it's crazy to think that you could pay, e- even if we take the sustainability part out of the equation, it's crazy to think that you could pay 15 to 20% more almost for no reason uh, other than the fact that it's brand new, um, you know? I think with IT, though, we, we, we reach a kind of interesting different point in our heads so you know i think most people are pretty comfortable um to to go and get an approved used car and they'll put probably the things they cherish and love the most in that car and they'll trust that car to keep them safe uh on the highway on the motorway and get to point um from a to b right but as soon as we step inside our organizations and we start talking about technology you actually find there's a huge amount of pushback oh no we don't use non-new technology here we only ever buy brand new and the latest and greatest technology but isn't that an interesting shift that, that we're just talking about complicated devices that are made of lots of different metals and materials? Um, and if someone can guarantee the quality of it in one circumstance, we're fine. But in other circumstances, we're sort of blinkered and, and don't feel like we can trust it. How do you actually go about changing people's minds about that? Well, do you know, what I said yeah, we've, we've got quite a lot of experience in, in taking people on that journey. I think the most important thing is to not, you know, not be... You should not not come in with a negative kind of approach and and, and tell people this is really to show people give people an opportunity to try. Um, you know, we have customers that have been with us for you know nearly our entire existence, mm. and that's because we started slowly with them and we 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 helped them understand how to use this technology. We built systems and processes to allow them to integrate it seamlessly into their organization. And we have one customer we've completely integrated into their supply chain where we automatically implement as much remanufactured technology into that supply chain as we can and they don't have to do anything different than what they would normally do i just need one of these right well and if we've got one we'll try and get them a remanufactured one and and they just bank the savings and the simplicity all the way through so i think start small give people a chance to try um, and very quickly when they they'll see the quality they'll see the reliability and people will naturally want to do more and expand Mm. i I imagine and i mean do you have any clients who end up talking about uh, the work that they're doing in this arena on their website. I mean, it, it seems like a really good opportunity to also share with the world, you know, what actions they're taking as an organization to be more sustainable. Yes, but I think it's fairly recent. As I said, you know, we, we started this organization 14 years ago. And when we began, really, the only thing that people were that interested in was the cost saving. And um, you know, we ended up doing good by stealth for quite a long time. But I, I think your point is right. Things have changed. And we certainly do have customers now that are more interested in wanting the numbers, the stats, the information to put into their own reports, whether that's their ESG reports that goes to, um, to, 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 to their shareholders or in front of customers to talk about it. So yes, we increasingly people are more comfortable, but in the past, oh, do I want to tell people that I'm using remanufactured technology? People weren't so proud of it, but now they're beginning to. Yeah, I think now it's becoming a badge of honor and it's almost if you don't have it, there is a certain, well, I suppose it's moving, it could move in this direction where there's a certain level of almost shame or something if you proudly state we're buying only new and we're not thinking about the repercussions. I think we're, we're not quite there, mm. but you're right. I think from a consumer's point of view, I think if you think about consumer devices, I think people are getting a bit more proud, quite proud to wear vintage clothing, right. you know, be proud that they've, they've, they've saw something yeah, off eBay and not be um, shamed about it. I think organizations have got a bit further to go. I think there is still whether it's stigma or you know they worry about perceptions that, that not everyone's there but we're, we're on the right path i think mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's slowly but surely uh, and if we go to the carbon aspect of it yeah. um so where 
where is carbon generated? You, you mentioned that currently it's at 4% and there is, um, was it Boston Consulting Group saying it's going to go up to 14% That's right. uh, of global emissions. So where, where are the emissions even coming from? Through the whole life cycle, right? So as you, you talked about extraction, we were talking about the, the metals and the minerals, but that extraction process is very carbon intensive, mm-hmm. particularly for the rarer metals and minerals, because huge amounts of land need to be and process just to get a very small amount of material then of course shipping that material for it to be refined then shipping that material to the people who make those little you know semiconductors and and and, and processes you know combining all of that flying those those components around making the product actually getting it into the user's hands of course there is an element of energy use um can't ignore the fact that the in-life energy use is material i think the stat around um, data centers now, if, if data centers were a country, if you measured all the data into the world as a country, they'd be the third largest consumer of energy. Wow. Um, and of course, energy itself, as we know, contributes a huge amount to, to emissions. But even afterwards, even the disposal, even the recycling or the scrapping uh, of these devices has, has, a, has an emissions footprint. So you know, combine the whole thing uh, and, and you can start to see when you magnify up, everyone has all these devices, organizations have huge devices, you know, all the systems and networks that connect it all up from the data centers, that the emissions ramp up very, very quickly. Mm. And so, I, I mean, what do, we, what do we do about that? It sounds like using refurbished is one big answer uh, just because, yeah, it reduces the need to fly stuff around, mine new elements, create new things. Um, but in terms of the actual, well, first of all, is there anything else? And second of all, um, you know, what about the actual during the use? How do we approach reducing carbon emissions then? Well, lots of questions in there, right? Well, um, so yes, of course, we, the big thing we do is we think about because the, the embedded piece is the, 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 the hardest bit to change once you've made the thing, right? Um, so we talk a lot about extending the life of technology for that reason, as we've explained. But I guess mm-hmm. once things are in use, um, there's a lot of simple things that's what, well, that sound simple, but that need to be executed. There's a very... Um, nuance thing that happens in data centers. When you're configuring a data center, um, this, imagine a server like any kind of computer, imagine like your laptop. Um, you know, when your laptop's working really hard, the fan comes on, you may have noticed that, right? Yep. Um, it, when you install a server in, in, in a data center, um, its default position is that, that, that it would, it, the fans would only come on um, when, when, when it's working hard. But actually most data centers don't configure the servers that way. They configure the fan to always be on. Hmm. Someone's not going to come in. They don't want to have to change the settings. And they think, oh, it's just best. Let's just make sure it's as cool as possible. Well, what that means is, let's take a kind of real example. Imagine you've taken a video on your phone. Not only is the video stored on your phone, it's also stored in the cloud, right, in a data center. Yep. And so maybe it's a video you don't even really like. You took a 10-minute long video, and actually you're never going to look at it again, not really interested. You don't delete it. You leave it on your phone. So there's a data center somewhere with a server in it, and that server is spinning away working with you with its fan always on, just in case one day you might want to look at that video you didn't like. So there's a couple of things there. How we configure um, our technology matters, but actually what we do with the data really matters because data drives a lot of the volume of what we see. So deleting old data, being efficient with, with, with the way we set up devices is important. Energy management software is available that can help with that. But you know, we all, and I include myself, can get quite lazy with data. Um, so cleaning off data is a good thing, a good thing to do as well. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, that's challenging because sometimes you think, I mean, I, I have photos uh, from, 
I don't even know how long ago, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, whenever, whenever iPhones and, and smartphones became a thing, you know, I have photos from that time sitting on, on a server somewhere and to think, you know, I should delete them. Um, what if I want them one day? You know, that's <laughs> when are you going to go through and actually look at them, right? Exactly. So, at some point, so, so either, either, either you, what some of the suggestions are like download them to some sort of hard device, like, yeah, you know, download them to sort of fixed storage. Yeah. If, if, big if, if you're ever actually going to go through them all and find that one, that one moment that you probably won't even remember are there, then you can have access to them. a bit like that box of photos you have under your bed. Exactly. Um, but it just, it, it, it magnified that up in any other way. So I, I use the personal example, but it's exactly the same for organizations and their data. Of course, some data has to be sold. There are certain types of data that's by law has to be protected, but most of us just think of storage is free and we'll just keep adding more and more things to that pack. And if you, if you have it in live accessible storage, that has a weight, that has a carbon weight um, and that we need to consider. Equally, we should probably think about when we're using video um, uh, and live streaming, because uh, actually there's a carbon weight to all of that too. Um, so, you know, getting the habit perhaps of switching off video halfway through a, a, or after 10 minutes of a video call um, can reduce the, the, the carbon footprint of, of the things we do as well. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot of things to do. How do you motivate an organization or even an, an individual to make these kind of changes when the impact is so sort of it's, it's not tangible. It's not in your face. It's a concept. You know, you're telling me all of my photos are sitting in storage somewhere, which makes a fan go and, and that's carbon, you know, but I'm sitting here thinking, okay. I mean, I, I, I hear you, I believe you, but it's so far away that, so how, how do you motivate people? It's a great question. I think that's the genius of some of the, the, the branding of things too. Like the cloud makes it sound all light and fluffy, like it doesn't have a footprint, right? right. Um, so no, it's a really good point. So how, how do you motivate people to go on this journey? Well, I think for the most part, people are sort of, well, there's a number of factors. Most people are actually just starting to put their hands up. So most organizations are now saying, we're going to be net zero by, and they're looking around at their peers. Oh, we're going to be net zero by, let's say 2035, right? Okay. So that starts the ball rolling, right? Then Possibly they haven't even done a carbon footprint, but they'll go and do a carbon footprint. And then what they'll realize is their IT is probably somewhere between five and even 20% of their overall carbon footprint. Wow. They'll go, oh, okay. And then the call will go to, 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 to the IT person, right? And they'll, they'll have to start looking at it. And when they start to do the analysis, they'll see that there are big gaps there. I mean, you know, we don't see it as our job necessarily to get people off the start line. You know, we're really trying to help people that are putting their hands up and want to do something. Mm. So, you know, we uh, our role as an organization is to start sit down with people once they've set themselves a goal. For example, they've set themselves a goal. We will then help them with the how. You will sit there in an advisory layer and support them with the how, and then actually doing it with them and making it work. You know, I think there's going to be enough pressure from customers, from employees, um, um, investors already driving organizations to become more sustainable. And what will come with that, if that's not enough for organizations, governments are going to mandate, mandate, mm -hmm. mandate it. There's going to be carbon tax at some point. You know, if I don't know if you've read, but like in Denmark, that's as high as $160, I think $159 per ton. Oh, wow. um, so there, there's a lot of different mechanisms that are causing, going to cause sufficient pressure for people to start. The gap that we see is that people don't know where to start once they've you know, started moving. So that's where we step in.
Gotcha. Yeah. Well, admittedly, I, I forgot about the net zero uh, concept um, at that moment. And that makes a lot of sense because there has to be some kind of driver other than the feel good factor. And, and clearly that's. We'll come down to cost again, like you said. So when carbon exactly. tax comes, people will be feeling the actual cost of, uh, of the carbon emissions. And at that point, you know, even the most, let's say, um, negative on, on, on climate change will feel like they'll have to do something. And, and so if we move on to a different topic, um, sure. the name of your company is Circularity First. What is Circularity? Great question. So for us, Circularity really is the circular economy. Okay, so we, we, we very much um, look at this through the lens of the circular economy. Uh, and to understand the circular economy, you've got to think of that linear economy, that take, make, waste stream right that very linear we take all this great stuff we use it for a little bit then we just throw it away right so the circular economy is all about how do you keep those resources in in, in use for as long as possible um so whether that's you know maintaining things repairing things reusing remanufacturing and really anything to keep um these devices in use in the way they were designed for as long as possible and for us you know recycling is 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 one of the circles in the circular economy but we'd see it as kind of the, like the last resort because at that point you're destroying all that embedded energy and carbon that it took to make it and as we've said before you only get a little bit of those resources back out the other side so circularity is really for us is all about the circular economy and go on. i would only add that the, the reason why we say first is because so often it is not the first thing that people are thinking about there it's the secondary or tertiary reason for doing anything you mentioned yourself around the commercial reasons um you know the people worrying about the performance of technology we really want people to start making um the circular economy the first thing they think of not the last why is circularity so important to you and why is it so important in the it space so it's a very personal story for me so so when i was you know probably 13 or 14 years old um you know i was we had a fairly humble um household you know and and, and, and computers were is first time computers starting to be used at home, right? So people starting to get home computers, um, and candidly, we, my family, couldn't afford to buy me a a, a home computer. And um, I realised actually, I was able to build my own from technology that other people were willing to give or throw away, just because it was a, a little bit older or they no longer needed it. Um, and that sowed a really important seed for me, you know, particularly around sort of financial necessity as a, as a way of doing it. But if we think, you know. 30 years on, we've actually got a very compelling need to keep this species alive, right? And, 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 and it sounds really dramatic, but if we don't sort climate change, if we keep chewing through all, all, all the um, limited resources we have on the planet, life's going to get here very difficult, very quickly. And for me, with children of my own, I worry about that quite a lot. So, so for me, that, that's, that's a really important part of, of, of why uh, it's so important to me. You know, I think the other part of your question about... You know, how do we design things differently, right? Um, the, again, multi-layers to it. You, know, you can design things to use um, less materials. You just make things smaller is a good start sometimes. But actually in IT, it's tricky because when you make things smaller, particularly on motherboards and, 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 and the integrated circuits, actually that's the bit that's probably the hardest to recycle. So whilst making the plastics and, and metals less makes a lot of sense, but actually the, the increasingly small integrated circuits are a real problem to, to 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 do so in terms of redesign you know got to design in use of non-new technology non-new materials so you know the, most 
um, the plastics, the, the aluminium and the steel used in an IT products can, 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 can be sourced in more sustainable ways. But more than anything is that how do you design these devices so they can be easily upgraded? Um, why do we have to throw away the device just because the, the, the battery is going, you know, or that it's not got the performance? So we worked with a large uh, oil and gas company and they were replacing their laptops every two years. And we said to them, well, why don't you just upgrade the memory? And they, what do you mean? I said, well, most laptops have a port where you can put in another big chunk of memory and that will probably extend the life and the performance of that device for another two years. And I'm not trying to be harsh on those organizations. I just don't think people think about it like that. They have a process. Well, we replace our laptops every two years. Why would we change that? You need to bring some compelling events or some new innovation and thoughts to that. And that's really what we pride ourselves on. Come and bring some practical things you can do right now that will make a difference. Mm -hmm. I think in, in that example of the oil and gas company, and, and you mentioned this example about replacing the laptops, I think it seems to me like the first question is really uh, to ask is why? Why are you replacing it? And frequently, like you said, if they're just thinking that the laptops are getting a little slower because the programs are getting heavier or you know more intensive, well, it's just a memory issue. It's not like the screens are bad or the keyboard is, there's nothing wrong with the laptop. You just need a yeah. little bit more power. And um, it seems like it's really just a case of taking the time. And it's sometimes it's not even that much time at all, but to understand why you're, why these unsustainable practices are being done in the first place, and then you can easily solve them with a sustainable and financially um, beneficial solution, which makes a lot more sense. Definitely. And I think the thing to layer over there and sometimes what we help is we recognize that sometimes people have to change their process and that's quite difficult for big organizations. Mm -hmm. So what we also try and do is, 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 is in, uh, bring in a process that works around them, allows them to still kind of operate the way they did, but actually achieve some of the benefits. So, so for, for this oil and gas company, it's like, well, how do we build in like, you know, a help desk that would support the users to actually put that memory in, make sure there's a little bit of education there, do perhaps the logistics that helps get that the right memory types to the right customer. So, you know, I can make it sound perhaps oversimplistic, but, you know, that's the job of organizations like us to, to help fill in those gaps. Mm -hmm. And just to ask a kind of a point blank question, why are your clients so keen to work with you? What exactly does your solution provide to them that maybe they wouldn't have access to um, you know, without circularity first? I think the key bit is this practicality. I think there's a lot of people talking about what needs to be done and, and help people kind of understand their footprints and things like that. But you know, we pride ourselves on the actual practical execution mm -hmm. of the doing side of this. So, you know, whether it's process design, whether it's, you know, actually just the experience of delivering in complicated environments, um, you know, I, th I think for us, it's, it's about the ability to act on it right now in a really practical way that's missing for, for a lot of people. Um, you know, and it, it comes back to all the, all the experience we've had over the last 14 years of whether it's extending the life, introducing remanufactured and understanding how to break down some of these um, you know, resistances to it um, or, you know, how to take the risk out of it. You know, um, taking people's technology away from them and then feeling like that the data has been handled properly, that it's going to be looked after and that we're actually going to promote the correct reuse of that technology are all factors that are quite important to people. But it, for us, it really comes down to the practical elements um, uh, of the execution of it. Hmm. Interesting. Go, going back to the circular economy, one with with the tech side, um, I imagine a circular economy, uh, and I, I'm speaking more broadly now, um, 
when it comes to technology, whether it's yeah, laptops or even cars or, or wind turbines, just to you know, have a large scale, that kind of the idea behind circular economy, the circular economy, as far as I understand it, is um, in essence, imitating nature. Because in nature, like in a forest, as an example, there is no waste. The waste product is the source for new growth. For example, leaves fall off a tree. That's not waste. That's actually fertilizer for the tree to grow in the next season. And, and it goes in a circular fashion. Um, and if you think about the food industry, you know, that's very close to nature because if you grow corn, then the parts of the corn stock that or the plant that you don't use, you can, yep. well, you can turn it into fertilizer, et cetera. But when it comes to, to hardware, it's much more challenging, at least for me to think about this kind of there to completely remove the waste altogether from the process and, and, you know, the entire life cycle, because uh, well, yeah, I mean, to think of using a microphone as fertilizer for a new microphone to grow out of the, it just doesn't want, it doesn't work that way, obviously. So, and I, I guess, how do you actually turn all of this hardware that we use and it's everywhere. I mean, even like lamps and lights and light bulbs, how do we turn all of that into, um, or I suppose, how do we redesign it so that there is no waste? So zero waste, zero emissions are are great concepts and are aspirationally where we want to get to. But candidly, I think on, on many of the things we use, even outside of technology, that the, the, we're a long way away from that, mm. right? And 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 you know, um, e, e, even in terms of the things we need to do, we don't actually necessarily need to get to zero in all things. Mm. Um, but we have a lot, a lot of work to do. So I mean, there's a lot of questions in that. I mean, you know, going back to the extended life piece is really important because each time you extend the life of something from you know for another use, another use, another life, another life, um, you're sort of you keep sort of halving. The impact, you know, through each of those cycles, right? Mm. Um, so there's a, you know, Philips did this whole study around how, how can they provide light as a service. So yeah, rather than chewing through light bulbs, you know, if they're if, if they're rather than trying to sell light bulbs, they actually just want to sell a service. What they are then inspired to do themselves is to make a light that never fails, because they don't want to send an engineer out to replace that light bulb, mm. right? And and they, they weren't sort of saying, oh, it's all our fault. Yeah, we keep selling these disposable lights. I don't think they're quite like that, but you know, if, if we start thinking about the servitization of things and providing things as a service, naturally there's a bit of a lend towards how can we make things last as long as possible? Yeah. And, um, you know, you, we can design things that are more modular. So yeah, there are um, phones, for example, that you can buy, I think it's Fairphone, where you can replace the camera, you can replace the battery, you can replace the screen. So we can make things more modular so parts of it um, don't get consumed. Um, you know, in technology, the, one of the biggest challenges is it's so integrated. It's all composites, you know, that everything is a kind of a mixture of materials. That's part mm-hmm. of our innovation journeys. We've gone from, you know, being in the Iron Age or the Bronze Age, where we're losing quite base materials to increasingly complicated things that are even at the materials level, highly blended chemicals that are hard to break down. Mm-hmm. But if we can combine them, in theory, we can uncombine them. We can reseparate them. And there are companies now, for example, I mentioned to you earlier how the PCBs and the boards in our technology devices are are one of the most carbon intensive parts. Mm -hmm. They're also often where some of the rarest metals and minerals are, and it's very difficult to extract. 
But interestingly, now there are innovations now where they're using biological process like bacterias that will consume um, some of those metals and stuff off those boards, and then it can be reharvested um, and, and reused as, as a material. So but it's none of it's impossible. We just haven't always proved it's possible yet. Mm. Um, which is me putting my positive person's hat on. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, this is a, a positive person's hat wearing uh, podcast. So good. yeah, it's a good looking nice hat. Title, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think you're, what you're outlining is, is really interesting. And yeah, it, it's a big challenge, but there are ways, uh, there are ways around it. And there are ways to, to make it, make it happen. Um, and how, how, was there a specific moment when you realized that Circularity First and, and everything you do at Circularity First is the work that you wanted to do and spend all your time thinking about? So I mentioned the sort of the seed of this in my mind when I was a young man, but I think mm. really since starting this business and realizing, first of all, how people didn't really care, that's a little bit of a fire in me. It's like, mm. no, no, we really should be caring about this. You know, again, that may not be your top priority, but at some point it should be. And I think actually realizing that there's so few people talking about it and just seeing the, the data going on impact, like we were talking about uh, the waste stream, we're talking about um, the, the the carbon emissions and just so few people talking about it. I find myself talking on stage about the topic and expecting someone to sort of go, oh, well, I know a lot more about that than you. Let me tell you. And that never happening. And that slightly worried me. And so I had this fire in me already. I thought, well, wow, we've got to really step up because there is a lack here. And, and there are lots of little organizations and companies starting to focus on this now, but there is not a joined up community that's really pulling us in this direction where there are in other industries. You know, can you name a sustainable IT company? You know, you can't. There isn't a big brand out there that encapsulates that. You know, there are people trying to encapsulate in other industries, whether you agree with them or not. You know, if I say name a sustainable car company, you might name one. We can discuss how sustainable we think they are. But but it's not happening in IT yet. And it needs to for all the reasons that we've already discussed. So I think that fire has started as a kid, but more, more importantly, like 14 years ago, when we started the business and has only built. And every year I keep thinking, oh, we've got more work to do. Yeah, no. Well, and I suppose as the business grows, you, you're able to have uh, your impact footprint gets bigger and bigger. But, you know, speaking of sustainable cars, if you think about a car, it's a huge piece of hardware. Um, and yeah, there's going to be a lot of probably similar challenges with what do you do with the car once it's you know, done or when, when certain parts eventually break down as thing as hardware does, you know, what, what, what do you do with all of that? And it seems like those are the exact same questions that they're going to be asking as, you know, your clients are currently asking. Very good point. And that the analogies is, it's funny in terms of, we often have the car analogies and, 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 and whilst they are not, not completely similar there, there are definitely a lot. And, um, so if we're using the car analogy, the bit that's not really being done, so we talk a lot about um, electric cars, right? Mm. Very topical. Um, but we're not doing the electric cars, it's really doing the full sort of life cycle analysis. So, uh, and I can talk a bit more about this from our side. So we've done the full life cycle analysis of, of the technology products that we sell. And we get to see all this embedded um, impact. So it's not just about the energy use that these devices are using today or the fuel in the car. It's about what it took to build that car. Hmm. And, and we're not focusing on that um so you know for um someone did this analysis i'd have to dig it out but um basically the break-even point from a carbon point of view for an electric car versus the car you already own is about between 10 and 12 years depending on how much you drive it 
that's from a carbon point of view. And that if that if that's not bad enough, uh, around that sort of 10 to 12 year point, what do you need to do? You need to replace the batteries, mm. which then restarts part of the clock. So there's a real debate um, about whether buying an electric car when you already have a car is actually any way more sustainable um, than, than, than just driving the one you've got, maintaining it and trying to drive it less. Yeah. And from the point of view of, of reducing waste, um, you know, you may give your current car up and it's not guaranteed that someone will want to buy it because maybe they, you know, um, things are moving away and there's a stigma associated now with buying a, a petrol or, or gas car or diesel. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really tricky because if I have, as an example, if I have a diesel car, because at least in, in London um, or in the UK, diesel was all the rage uh, for a while. And now I have this diesel car and actually I'm told this is the worst type of car I could possibly have by an electric car. What do I do with my diesel car? And there's all of these taxes that are coming in, especially in the center of London, which makes it extremely unattractive for me to drive a diesel car. Um, but if it takes 10 to 12 years for me to recoup from a carbon point of view, my investment, so to speak, it's very complicated. Um, I mean, how do you make a decision? But, but I, I suppose the trajectory and the momentum of, of different laws and rules and sort of taxes, it, it sort of forces people to make that decision. Like we were talking about earlier about net zero and, you know, changing, changing the way a company works. Uh, but it, yeah, in, in terms of cars, it's really forcing people to make decisions that may actually not be the right one. Yeah, so look, that's you're hitting on a really, really important point, which is true in every industry, right? So if we talk about kind of the future of the tech industry and where where it's heading, what we think is important, mm-hmm. we think it needs to be data-driven and not just, you know, what's the one problem that we think we need to fix today is thinking more broadly. So that's why we've gone out and done proprietary research and what they call life cycle analysis of of individual products because the argument in tech is always oh well this one's five percent more energy efficient well but replacing that every you know every two years to have one that's five percent more energy efficient isn't as as carbon efficient as using what you've got for longer which is the same argument with the car so we worked with a, a consulting firm called Unomia here to do an initial study to, to take all of our top products, literally pull them apart into individual component parts and measure each of those component parts and how carbon intensive they were. Mm-hmm. And therefore coming up with a total sum of what did it take to build this device? And then we compared it against what does it take versus remanufacturing or refurbishing a device? Uh, and the next step in that, and this is where we're doing a joint venture with the British government um, to fund a broader study is to build software tools that allow people to make decisions based on that. So putting things side by side and looking at that whole life cycle view and say, if I do this versus that, what's the difference from a carbon point of view, from a materials point of view and from an e-waste point of view? Uh, and, 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 and that's where we've got to go in all the in- industries. It can't just be the thing we're worrying about today. We have to look at the full life cycle um, and, and actually get the data. Yeah, it's um, the more I learn about sustainability, the more I realize that you and I, I say sustainability, like a very broad term, and you can ask what, what does that actually mean? But I kind of in, in the common parlance of yeah, how we talk about it, the more I learn about sustainability, the more I realize that every time you make one change somewhere, there is usually a negative impact somewhere else. And, you, and 
what I'm getting at is, for instance, like, you know, we want to move away from fossil fuels. So we start doing solar panels and, and wind turbines. And, but with that process, we end up having to destroy forests in order to mine for extremely rare materials and, and minerals um, that can't be found anywhere else. It, you have to just clear cut certain chunk of the Amazon, put in a, a long road in there, and that's the only way. But we do that in the name of not using fossil fuels. And, and I think you're absolutely right. It's really important that we think bigger picture um, w- when it comes to sustainability, because sometimes there are unintended consequences that, you know, when you're really focused on just one specific challenge, like let's stop using fossil fuels. Um, and if you're willing to do anything in order to, to stop using fossil fuels, then you may actually end up creating other problems that you never thought would have happened. And now you have to deal with those ones, you know, 10, 15 years down the line. And, and then the cycle continues because you start dealing with that stuff in the same kind of myopic approach just to create new problems. Totally. And you hit on a really interesting point. So um, if you forgive me for going back to the tech industry, but what you just said, that the same shopping list of metals and minerals needed for this energy transition, for mm. turbines, for digitizing things, for sensors and everything, is the same shopping list of equipment of, of materials we need to build yeah. technology as a whole. Mm-hmm. And we've already got a demand that we, you know, through all the other metrics that are telling us it's going like this. Well, we've got this new demand that we didn't really have growing fast before. What's going to happen? And, and I think that, that this is the bit that we need to think about, about what's, what do we think is going to happen now when, when, when these things start to, to pass? So we've just had the chip shortages. You know, everyone's talking about semiconductors and there was a shortfall of semiconductors. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really instructive lesson of what's going to happen as this planet starts to run out of resources. Mm. So the first thing that happens is prices go up and lead times get longer, right? A bit uncomfortable, everyone moans about it, it affects some people's quality of life. It's not great. The next thing that's happened is conflicts start to pop up. Now, we're starting to see a few new conflicts. Some, some of them are very visible, like you, Russia invading Ukraine, which is pretty horrendous, but that's partially over resources. Um, things you don't hear about, but down in Africa where they're trying to get cobalt and things like that, you'll have lots of conflict going on there over these metals and minerals. You've got sort of political conflict, you know, um, China withholding silicon sand from Taiwan to make, um, so they can't make um, more chips because um, the US is backing um, Taiwan. So these conflicts are starting to come up and they're all to do with the reduction in resources, that there are less resources available. And that's only going to get worse as we consume more and more and more. Um, and finally, and this kind of starts to do my mind a little bit, but um, what happens eventually is we don't have the materials left to continue to evolve as a species. So even some of the things we might have to do to evolve to manage this change in climate, like you were alluding to, um, we might not be able to do because we don't have the resources. We can't innovate because we don't have the component parts available to us to do it. And that's kind of a bit of a, I don't know what to do with that statement, even when I say it, right? So we we have to attend to these things now. You're right. We can't just assume, you know, go uh, um, rip up everything to 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 resolve some of the some of the challenges we've got. Like people talk a lot about from the energy transition. Yep, solar, wind, all of that. But what about nuclear? It's not a popular thing to sing about. You don't see people walking around going, "Bring back nuclear, more nuclear." But as an option. You know, it doesn't need as much um, resources um, comparatively. It, it, it is greener in the sense it produces less carbon and, and other climate changing emissions, and it produces an awful lot of energy and relatively safely. I mean, everyone thinks of Chernobyl, but actually 
how many other you know nuclear disasters can you think of so we've got to think more widely to your point yeah absolutely and and going back to the um the resource shortage you know to think that there's a bunch of the, these materials just sitting in a landfill somewhere or in many 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 landfills or at the bottom of who knows where and that is a raw material uh, and i that's like the circular economy is you know how can you look at least that's my understanding of the circular economy it's it's really asking the question of how can we design a system where the waste becomes a resource and with the linear economy you know take make waste um that's not even part of the thinking process but yeah if we can if we can redesign and turn that line into a circle and make the arrow point back to the beginning then all of a sudden every single waste uh product is an opportunity and it's a shiny exciting new thing and yeah maybe it's old maybe it's a little dirty but if we can find the it's kind of like um yeah it's like mining gold you know you have to clean off the dross first before you actually get pure gold and it's the same thing with with waste so that's totally true you know and, and we just see that as you try and set those before you get to the very end of it so rather than assuming that you know this 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 iphone goes straight to recycling it's like how do you promote the reuse first or how do you can get more out of it in its original um condition but you're right that, that's exactly what the circular economy is about each time someone's about to finish using it how do you close it off and get it back into another use um or eventually yeah perhaps it's only worth its 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 metal and material content but it is that that closing the loop as you referred to is, is exactly a big part of the secular economy are there any sustainability leaders that you admire or maybe like a book or a podcast or even a TV show or a movie or anything about either the circular economy or the way yeah. technology is affecting the environment that, that you can recommend or that you, you enjoy? Definitely. I mean, and I said that it's, it's emerging as in sort of the broadest topics. If you want to talk about the circular economy, you've got to look up Ellen MacArthur. I mean, she's probably single-handedly got that on center stage. Um, um, so we, we were involved with her really early when she was getting set up. She, she cool. even used some of our remanufactured technology um, in setting up our offices in London, but she's That's not awesome. very tech specific. You know, they talk about fashion, they talk about cement and steel and all those big topics. Um, uh, Leila Ajarlo is a, a lady who's, who's become a great speaker on the topic of the circular economy and sustainability. Mm-hmm. What I love about Leila is she can explain things that are really complicated, but in a really straightforward, fun, but precise way. Um, um, but the final person, not so famous as of yet, but a guy called Jerry McGovern uh, wrote a book called Worldwide Waste. Uh, and he was referring to there is the internet as a whole, so IT as a whole, and how wasteful that is. And I think that, for me, is probably the best book I've read so far on, on, on this topic, you know, it, it talks about even down to the impact of uh, streaming Netflix and, and how, and I know that there is impact to all of these things and even little decisions like using, you know, you're using your local Wi-Fi rather than using the 4G network. Um, mm-hmm. you know, how, how much of a difference that can make um, if you add it all up across billions of people or websites, you know, changing your website so it's less carbon intensive. doesn't sound like a big thing. We're talking grams of carbon, but if you're someone like Amazon or a big, as someone who's got a lot of uh, people hitting your sites, it makes a really big difference. So I re- really recommend Jerry's book. Yeah, thank you. That's um, that that sounds really interesting, and it's probably one of those books that's really eye-opening. And you real you realize how many things you do on a daily basis. Uh, I wonder if he's he's written it that way. It sounds like maybe he has. Where you after you read that, you you start walking around your your flat or your house thinking, 
I can't touch anything. I have to rethink how I do everything now. Uh, and, and on that point, what, what can people do on a daily basis to be more sustainable in their daily lives as it, as it relates to technology? Well, two things, and, and, and they're very simple and aligned to kind of what I've already said. We've got to try and use everything for longer. Like, you know, the iPhone 14, I'm picking on Apple, it's a bit unfair, but the iPhone 14 is coming out. How many cameras do you need on the back of your phone? would be the question I'd ask you to ask people to ask themselves. Like, I've got one and it, it's enough, right? Um, do you need to replace that? Likewise, with the, the car analogy we talked about, do you need to replace your car with an electric one just to feel good about it? You know, think about it. Think, try and educate yourself on whether that's the right thing. And, and the second point, again, we've sort of alluded to, but it's this whole concept of stop hoarding stuff. If, you, if you're not using something, whether it's an old photo or an image or some data, get rid of it. But if it's something physical and practical that has a material worth, let someone else use it. You know, if we all look through all of our houses, there's so many things we've got that we don't use. But if you gave it to someone else, they wouldn't need to buy a new one. And the cascade of that is really significant. You know, there are lots of websites you can do, and you mentioned yourself on, on, on eBay, but you know, we here in London, we, we'll just leave stuff outside with a sign free on it. And someone who needs it will pick it up and take it. And that will just save a new thing not needing to be made. There's a lot of talk about can we do degrowth? Can we reduce the demand for things? I believe we can, but I think actually we just need just to share around all the stuff we've already got. Yeah, and degrowth, and this is a whole nother, another topic, but I think degrowth is a much more challenging thing to, to focus on and, and try to do. And yep. there's no guarantee. I mean, you're, you really have to change the way humans think fundamentally, uh, whereas it's much easier and we have much more control over, like you say, just putting out an old couch or whatever with a big sign on it that says free and someone, I mean, yeah, in London, I, I've done that as well. And it's amazing just how quickly things disappear, sometimes Fast. within an hour or yeah. even faster. Yeah. Uh, and because people are always looking for things and, and you just never know. And yeah, so I think those are both really good points. And what I like about them is they're very easy to, to think about. I, I've actually heard just on the point of removing data, I've, I've heard of some kind of I don't know if it's like an, an extension or a little software or something that goes through your emails and it, it or, or even like the files on your computer and it just starts notifying you like, hey, you haven't touched this stuff in about 180 days. Do you really need it or can we just sort of yeah. get rid of it? And yeah. it's a really easy way to, to make an impact. Uh, finally, um, Anthony, where can people learn more about your work and for any organizations that are interested in actually engaging with, with Circularity First, where can people go to, well, to learn and, and reach out yep. to you? Well, you might imagine we've got some low carbon websites that we can jump on. So there's circularity-first.com. Um, it even has a even lower carbon toggle. So it will go into sort of a black and white mode. Um, cool. If you really want to be low carbon. Um, I've got a site that's dedicated to it's just launched that, that I'm focused on to put some of my messages on, which is the sustainable IT guy, um, dot com. Um, but actually, really, this this is, needs to be a conversation. So mm -hmm. if I want to step into those, but you know, feel free to reach out to me directly uh, on my email. We can share that. It's anthony.levy at circularity first. And I, I will connect you with people inside our organization that will happily guide you on that journey or if it's appropriate you know you, i can have a conversation directly you know it, this has to be a conversation i think most people kind of it's it, it just reading the words it sounds good or it's, it feels overwhelming you know 
we can just boil it down to the ability for people to act on it now. That whole practicality you took kindly, kindly mentioned is what we're all about. So mm-hmm. if people are interested and they just want to learn a bit more about it or want to know how, that's what we're here for. Great. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for your time and for, for going through all of this. I think what the way you're approaching it, what I like about it is it's practical. It seems like it's relatively easy. I mean, I say that in, in what I mean is that, you know, from, from your customer's point of view, uh, it's, it's a simple way to make a big, big impact in a space that's clearly growing extremely quickly and, and requires a lot of redesign and, and thinking through. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how you um, are part of the um, transition in terms of making the 4% not go to 14% in terms of global emissions and, and you're playing a key role in that. So uh, best of luck with with everything you're you're working on and, and with the new blog. Uh, I look forward to, to reading the sustainableitguy.com. Thanks very much for your time, Daniel. Speak soon. Globechain is the largest and fastest growing ESG reuse marketplace that helps companies become more sustainable, save money, and achieve their ESG and SDG targets. Globechain connects companies from the construction, retail, hospitality, and office sectors with nonprofits, small businesses, and people to redistribute unneeded items, reducing waste from going to landfill. From fixtures and fittings going to thrift stores and being upcycled by fashion students to construction material being reused to help build schools, items are requested super quickly and help generate impact to local communities. So far, Globechain has diverted over 58 million kilograms of items from landfill, and they've helped over 50 million people across the world, saving them 350 million pounds through reuse. Check them out at globechain.com.